0: hello and welcome back to when in romance where we get to talk about romance books and sometimes movies based on those books and of course all the other things that happen in romancelandia i am jess and i am trisha And we're recording on Thursday, September 28th, because September decided it had somewhere to be
2: 2023. (laughs) Yeah, fair point. By the time you're hearing this, it's going to be October. Oh, here we are.
0: How is this happening?
2: It's fine. Passage of time, etc.
0: I know, but like, time was going by so slowly. And now it's just like, gotta catch up or something.
2: Yeah, there was a, a joke in there about that song from, you know... The Top Gun song. Mm -hmm. Time goes by so slowly. And now I I don't have the joke. So if I come up with one, we'll go back and edit it in later. You're welcome, everybody. All right. right. (laughs) Just kidding. We definitely won't do that. Everyone else, make up your (laughs) jokes and send them to me so that I'm ready for next year. (laughs) How
0: are you, Jess? I am doing all right. I wish it would be fall already
2: because Mm.
0: Arizona doesn't have that really
2: is fall not quite falling in Arizona
0: fall is not quite falling it is currently 6 19 p.m. on a lovely September day and it is still 95 degrees
2: wait seriously like literally it is 95 yeah. degrees I am looking at my smartwatch and it says mostly sunny 95 that's so funny because I'm looking at my smartwatch and it says mostly sunny 56 oh bless you that is we live in different places that's a good reminder yes. for all of us <laughs> Mhm. Well, as you are calmly and impatiently awaiting fall, what are you reading? Are you at least reading something that's giving you fall vibes or is it completely unrelated to the seasons?
0: I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of getting a little bit of fall vibe from the book that I literally just started. I had a little bit of downtime just in the past few hours. So I, I started reading Dirty Steel by Katie Casey and Lauren Blakely, which I had borrowed from the library about a week ago and remembered that I had borrowed it so that I could read it. Um, <laughs> hey. the last time I borrowed it, it actually went through a full cycle of me forgetting that it was there. So I figured this time I should probably actually read it because their first book, Dirty Slide, is really fun. And I've been meaning to read this one for a while. So this is a baseball book. So it does kind of feel like in the approaching the crisp fall, October time period. Sure, Is happening in the book. And I know that the thing that drew me up to this book is the fact that it was teammates who also are roommates and also kind of, don't like each other. So those are things that you know, I like a lot. So I'm excited to dig in that later.
2: Yeah, that definitely sounds like a basically PowerPoint deck of your favorite tropes. (laughs) Force proximity, enemies to lovers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If only they were pretending to date, maybe they will at some point. (gasps) Maybe they will. Oh, man, you'll have to keep us posted. Because if that is the case, then it's basically. Like, a Jess Pride triple. Yeah. See how I made, like, a little baseball yeah. joke there?
0: Yeah, that was a, a good baseball joke there. I like it.
2: Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't make this... They couldn't make it earlier. Uh, I'm I'm getting there, you know? That might yeah. be the only one. That might be all I have for the rest of the podcast. We'll find out. Okay. We'll find out. I am actually reading... Well, just recently finished a book that also has not so much fall vibes, but, like, magic vibes, which I feel like mm-hmm. October is very much that kind of a month. And I apologize, because if you listen to all the backlist, you will um, have heard me talk about this on the Friday before. But that book is What the Hex by Alexis Daria. I like the book a lot. Although I said to Jess, it makes me a little bananas that there's no question mark in the title, (laughs) because the title is What the Hex. She calmed me as an elder millennial down a little bit, and reminded me that some people who are not as old as I am, just don't necessarily (laughs) use question marks all the time which is a good reminder. But anyway, so this is a book. It's a novella, which I – novellas are hard to do, but I love one that is well done, and I think this one is. It started out actually as an Audible original a few years back, and relatively recently, at least recently to me, uh, came out on ebook. And so I read it, and I think one of the things that makes it a really successful novella is that it's very time-compressed. The story Mm -hmm. of it essentially – is that a woman, Cat Catalina, comes home for to like this magical island where her whole family is from. And she is there for her. She's there to be the maid of honor in her sister's wedding. And as she gets there, she meets the groom and finds out that he is possessed by a demon which we've all been there, but he actually Uh. is. It's not like one of those situations where you meet your friend's significant other and you're like, this person might be possessed. No, he (laughs) actually is possessed. And it's actually a bigger problem because both families have also been impacted by this, like sort of, I don't know, like possessed by relation. I don't know exactly what it is. But anyway, everybody's not doing great, except for one person, the best man, who happens to be the groom's brother and happens to be Kath's childhood nemesis. So Mm. they find out that, yeah, she finds out that Diego is also not possessed. They figure out they have to sort this all out, figure out how to get, you know, kind of perform an exorcism, frankly, while they are the only two people who are, you know, normal in this moment. Not possessed. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Not possessed in this moment. And it's a little complicated because part of the reason that Kat left the island in the first place was because she had lost her powers. And so she mm. kind of lost her magic. So she's kind of dealing with the stress of that. And one of the things that one of the reasons that I talked about this on all the backlist was because I feel like it's not just a fun kind of romance story about magic, but there's also a lot in it about like who you are for your family, like what their expectations of them can be of you, who you are kind of allowed to become. And whether or not you have to leave to do it. And so I think in a very short number of pages, this book can't be more than 100 pages. Daria does a really good job of it, just examining some stuff that has a lot of depth while also writing a very fun book about demon possession and weddings. You know, as one does. Yeah,
0: And, like, I didn't think about it until you were talking about this, this particular book. That makes... I think this was the first one to come out, actually, but that makes three books that I know of that have sort of... They're written by authors of Latina backgrounds Mm -hmm. in which a person in a magical family leaves home because they have no magic and then comes back home and... uh, some kind of way either finds themselves or their powers or both. Um, So the enchanted hacienda was one. And then there's one that just came out that I have forgotten the name of, but it is also green. Um, Okay. All right. So it it was just like, we've got like a a little mini trend going.
2: And I am here for it. Um, And if you Mm -hmm. figure out what that other book was, just let me know and I will stick it in the show notes because you know, this one's just going to whet your appetite, and then you're just going to want to read more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I will do my best to find it before this episode airs, because as I told Trisha, I'm in the process of shifting my books, and I can't see the titles of about half of them. And my uh, speculative romance is in that group of books I can't see the titles to right now.
2: I mean, listen, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. This isn't the last episode of in Romance, unless you know something <laughs> I don't. Absolutely not. Great. Okay. Well, as everyone I'm sure knows, it is not just a book club week, but it is also an adaptation week. And we have a lot to say. Mm -hmm. And we're not exactly sure what we think. But we have a lot to say about the perfect fine book and film. And we're going to get into it in just a second. Today's
1: episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Then you have Claire Biggs who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibbsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice and she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend. today's episode is brought to you by penguin young readers so this book i'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness it's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world it follows anzu who's moved to a new town during oban a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors and ever since her Albachan died Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness By Mai K Nguyen And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers For sponsoring this episode
2: Alright, before we jump into the Perfect and not so perfect aspects of the perfect find Quick reminder that as we discussed Autumn is here For those of us at least in the northern hemisphere And if it's spring you can also curl up with a great read And get cozy <laughs> Whatever your version of cozy looks like wherever you live, this is the time for it. Whether it's romance, (laughs) whether it's creepy reads, whether it's modern classics, whether it's escapist reads you crave, TBR, as we've told you before, can help you find the perfect books for your fall reading. The options are curated to your specific reading tastes, and you can visit mytbr.co to find out more and sign up. It just takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co for all of your Cozy autumn or spring needs. Find the link in the show notes. Get the perfect find from our bibliologists. I know, right? I saw that too. Yeah. Find the perfect books, get the perfect find. Speaking of which, <laughs> Jess, do you want to kick off our discussion of The Perfect Find by Tia Williams?
0: Absolutely. So, our, what is this, fall quarter three, whatever you want to call it, when in romance, book club choice it was the perfect find by tia williams which is one of her medium old books like she it came out before seven days in june which i think either i or trisha or both of us mentioned at some point in the past 18 months and it was recently adapted by netflix which we will talk about after this but uh, The Perfect Find is about Jenna Jones, a newly 40-year-old woman who is starting afresh. <laughs> she needs a job, so she ends up going to work for a industry nemesis of hers named Darcy, mm-hmm. who in the book is very tiny. At some point, uh, someone calls her a demonic
2: smurf or something like that um, elf i think do they call her a demonic elf maybe <laughs> yes that is true good call
0: yeah which is was very weird to think of like the way but we'll talk about that when we talk about the adaptation and she gets to work and is introduced to her new videographer for a an online video series that she has been tasked with and it is the much younger man that she drunkenly made out with at a party uh the weekend before i think the weekend before sometime Mm -hmm. very recently Um, (laughs) maybe even the night before i can't remember it was definitely very recent i think you're right very very recently so jenna and eric have to work together but have very oppositional personalities from the beginning of, from from the start, in part because of both of their embarrassment about what happened before. They were both wildly intoxicated. I think he was also high and they were very vulnerable with each other very quickly. And now they have to deal with the fact that they know these things about each other. Also, there's the fact that Jenna one of the reasons that Darcy hates Jenna is that Jenna slept with Darcy's boyfriend when they were in their early twenties. Jenna didn't know that it was Darcy's boyfriend. He told her that he was single. So there was some stuff there, Mm -hmm. but Darcy holds a grudge like no other. And over the course of this book, you can see how low Darcy will go to get her way. And I'm sort of, Glad, we'll talk about this later, Mm -hmm. that we didn't quite have to deal with that much terrible Darcy in the film because there's only Mm -hmm. so much you can do in an hour and a half or however long the movie was. But I think it was almost good to have such a three dimensional villain in the form of Darcy in the book because it's a, it's a pretty chunky book. You sort of, if you're going to, if you're going to write a villain, go all the way. And they kind of did. So that was definitely something. So Eric and Jenna have to work together on this project. Darcy wants them to go viral. Jenna doesn't even know what viral is. She doesn't have Instagram. She sold all of her clothes to be able to move back to New York after escaping to Virginia uh, to live with her parents after a very, very bad public breakup. Um... And well, the the breakup itself wasn't public, but she was in the public eye and so was her fiance. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in this book, but eventually they find their groove and Jenna comes up with this concept of the perfect find. And I really like the concept in the book of taking different people of different body sizes, different ages, different wants, different desires, and finding them that peace, that classic fashion piece that would be perfect for them because it is the perfect find sure and i would love to watch that video series like if anybody knows of something like it that exists because of this book tell me about it i know tia williams is still like in the fashion world a little bit so maybe mm-hmm. even she has done this maybe maybe this that little part of this book is like semi autobiographical. biographical i don't know but so they're working together. They have this fusion emotionally and artistically that has sort of pushed them along because they've decided to be friends. And then they can't just be friends. What's the song? We can't be friends
2: because I'm still in love with you. That's basically the plot of of, of this book. Um, so we're having a hard time with our songs today, but it's fine. It's, it's a book <laughs> podcast, so I think that's okay. <laughs>
0: um so they it's gonna be spoilers from here on out just just so listeners know they become friends but then they sort of have this moment at a dinner party that jenna spends way too much money throwing in order to be very disappointed by a guy that her friend sets her up with and she and Eric have this this essential, crucial moment of, like, emotional intimacy and just, like, letting the walls drop. And from there, it's just, like, they cannot help the fact that they just want each other real bad. And they don't, like, the timeline in the movie is shortened a little bit, so there's some stuff that happens that feels like it happens too fast. If you've read the book already before watching the movie... I think the timeline in the book really moves well from like this emotional moment to deciding to go on a date to being like discovered. I'm using air quote fingers for the word discovered down to, you know, being caught out almost by a journalist who sees their chemistry and writes about them instead of writing about Darcy. And she gets mad and puts cameras up and catches them in the act of doing something on office time in the building, which I do not condone, but they can't keep their hands off each other, whatever, it's gonna happen. They get caught, there's a lot of yelling, there's a lot of calling people out for doing things that they shouldn't be doing calling people out for being terrible people and eventually people going their
2: separate ways and there's like a firing of a woman who had did absolutely nothing wrong just because darcy is a witch witch it's october not and not in like the fun what the hex way no like in a way that i can't use the word i would prefer to use so i'm using that word instead yep and I, I'm actually gonna stop you there, Jess, because I have some very strong thoughts about the epilogue of this mm-hmm. that I want to make sure that we let's let's start our conversation, and then when we're gonna have that part of the conversation, maybe we'll give people a heads up in case they haven't finished the book, and because there are some pretty major spoilers in that part of it. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to me to hear you talk about how you thought the pacing worked in this. Because while I agree that the, and again, we'll talk about this later, the pacing in the movie was a little kind of messy. (laughs) I thought one of the things that was really strange about this book was that one of the major things, and just to be clear, I think you mentioned this, but Eric is Darcy's son. Mm -hmm. Oh, I might not have mentioned that. Yeah. So that's a whole other level of complication on this. (laughs) But like, one of the things that I thought was really strange is that it feels like they spend six or seven chapters trying to figure out how they're going to create this great idea and what they're going to do. And they have, like, a massive fail that takes place over a chapter or two. And, like, they don't know what they're going to do. They both think they're going to lose their jobs. And then in less than two pages, they come up with the idea of the perfect find, and it's a huge success. Mm -hmm. And, like, they sort of just resolved that. So that was – so I'm 100% with you that I love the idea of it, and I thought it was a very cool – you know, there's this kind of concept sometimes in fiction or entertainment, whether it's films or TV or uh, books or whatever, that, you know, sometimes someone is writing about something that's like supposed to be this great idea, but you're like, well, oh, that's <laughs> actually not that good of an idea. Yeah. So I don't, This yeah. actually seemed like a really good idea. Yeah. And so I thought it was super cool, but I think it very much at that point, the it seemed very quickly... That the tension of having to prove themselves and keep their jobs because Eric feels like he's there because of nepotism, which he a little bit is.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And, like, Jenna feels like she's there because she had to beg for this job, which she totally is. Mm -hmm. Both of them know that they could get kicked out because Darcy is a witch at any time. And that's, like, a major source of friction and tension for, like, the first half of the book. And within two pages, that aspect of the tension is completely resolved, which... I, I mean, that's, I think that's fine. Like, I think it's fine to sort of shift then over to the romance, but it did, it made the pacing feel like a little jarring to me.
0: And you know what, I didn't even think about that in part because that was the part of the book. Okay, so for those of you who are listening to us talk about this, I experienced this book in both audio and audio and print form. So I was switching back and forth between audio and print, depending on what was available to me at the time. So I, that was part of the book that I was listening to in the car. um, And then I switched over to text, like right when the perfect find became an idea. So Mm, I think in my mind, it was a longer time because of that switch of formats for me. But now that you mention it, I do remember that sort of like, Popping up like and you know, some people do have that inspiration of just like, oh, what if we did this, but there wasn't a whole like, I thought there was going to be more of that as the pages, Mm -hmm. as the pages
2: turned and I was like, oh, that's all we're going to talk about with this. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, because that's the thing. They have the idea And by the end of the next page, have successfully executed it Mm -hmm. half a dozen times, Mm -hmm. which you just seem kind of, I don't know, kind of interesting. I will say one place where the pacing did work for me is that there is very explicitly a chapter. I think it's like chapter 22. I made a note of it where everything fractures. Mm -hmm. Right. Where like. There is this interview that happens that's supposed to be focused on Darcy, but it turns out being focused on these two people, like the two main characters and their chemistry with each other. There's a place where Darcy's ex fiance who she was with for two decades, sees that and he has some strong feelings about it. There's a place where like they then sort of realize that even though they haven't been explicitly found out they've kind of it's pretty clear from this interview that they have feelings for each other like Mm -hmm. that from that point on until like the last five percent of the book I was like okay now we're off to the races Mm -hmm. because the first I would say the first I don't know like 50 percent of the book or so aside from one party scene that I thought was really well done and like very fun and funny where Mm -hmm. Jenna is being set up by one of her friends and she has this reputation for throwing these amazing dinner parties. And so they're like, throw a dinner party, invite us, her two close friends invite, you know, this guy. And then she also ends up inviting Eric. And it was like, if you've ever been on like a really bad date, (laughs) you just, you feel the empathy flowing through your veins Mm -hmm. as this guy is, you know, in her home Thankfully, all of her friends are there, mm-hmm. but, like in her home, and like splaying. Uh, Arfe, is that what he was calling it? The Arfay. like art, yes. Arfe, the art cafe blend, and being like, well, you know, Arfe, right? And she was like, ugh, no, <laughs> I don't know what Arfe is. And so this like guy who's about ten years older than she is, you know, is like mansplaining Arfe. It's like it. Like I said, I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things I loved most about the book. But I did feel like aside from that, the first half or so of the book kind of dragged a little bit, that, but then fair. it started to pick up when everything kind of gets really messy for everybody. So I think, I don't know, I told you before we started recording, I think I liked this book, but I also, it felt a little like a roller coaster. Like there are the things that I liked about it. I really, really liked. And mm-hmm. the things I didn't like really kind of didn't. And this feels like a good point to mention we heard from Faith, who is a friend of the pod and a friend of mine, who had some feedback on both. One of the things that really struck me about her feedback was when she said there were a lot of moments that didn't age well and Mm -hmm. probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. And that was so – that hit home for me because this is a book that was set in 2012 but published in 2016, and there are just some things – that felt a little misogynistic in some Mm -hmm. cases, maybe just like a little bit uncomfortable in terms of race or culture, in terms of size. And so it honestly surprised me that this book was as recent as 2016, given some of the things and granted, I mean, they're characters, they're fictional characters, but Mm -hmm. but like a couple of things were main characters saying things that just felt a little off to me. I don't know if that was your experience or not.
0: Oh, absolutely. I like had a little like notes app, notes app document that I was holding on to. And the first thing mm-hmm. I wrote was actually like, this is dated. And I wrote it D-A-Y-T-I-D. Like it is so dated. <laughs> I have to say mm-hmm. it in caps lock. Just like, and it's like you were saying, it's a while that 2016 appears so dated, but it just proves how far we've come since then, as yeah. far as body positivity, as far as misogyny in in and out of the workplace, as far as, yeah. you know, like internalized misogyny as like, I'm sure that some of this stuff, especially in the fashion industry is still an issue and you know I don't know many people who work in fashion I don't know many people who live in New York I don't have many friends over 40 <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where you know this feels like things that would always have felt out of pocket for me yeah but maybe this is still something but then there are some, yeah, like you said, some references to race and culture, to sexuality, mm-hmm. to a lot of that stuff. Even, even the sort of the idea of like interracial couples, which was still mm-hmm. not, which was still a little like off-putting, especially in some black communities and that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is wild that I had to look and see when this book was written because I thought it was more yeah. like 2012, but there was too much talk about Instagram and Tara- Cara Delvein. I cannot yeah. say her name right. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to for it to have been that long ago, so it's just like how. And part of it yeah. is the fact that you know Jenna. And her friends are older, but a lot of things that were happening with Eric and his friends were also kind of like, ooh, that's no good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know how I felt about this either, because like you said, there are some things, especially with them as a romantic pair, as an artistic partnership that I really, really loved and I loved being played out everything that the journalists saw about the two of them when she was doing the interview, like that, that was all stuff that I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. But then Mm -hmm. everything else, like Darcy, like even the boss and ugly Betty would have like been absolutely mortified at the things that Darcy does. (laughs)
2: Yeah, Darcy felt – I will say there's a couple of places where she does – I've got one flagged in particular from Chapter 17 where she talks – she's got kind of a narrative about how she is held to a different standard as a single mother mm-hmm. than any man would be in her same position and kind of talks about how – she says, you know how you know powerful men spend 14 hours a day lying, cheating, stealing, raping, pillaging, doing whatever it takes to win – She said men like him are considered, and she's talking about Jenna's ex, Mm -hmm. men like him are considered heroes. They're applauded for it. No one expects them to join the PTA or chaperone field trips or have snickerdoodles waiting on the table after school. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. I wish, and we'll get to this in a minute, I thought the movie did a better job of adding dimension to that character because I felt like she was a little bit of a Disney villain in the book. Yeah, And particularly, as you talked about, in the way that she ends up firing and I think basically estranging both her son and Jenna at the Mm -hmm. end of this book and like is never heard from again Mm -hmm. so we'll definitely get to one of the the things that she did better but I want to ask you too about the age difference and how you felt about that Faith mentioned that she felt like the fact that Jenna's 40 and Eric is 22 is a little icky Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and I kind of get that like they're both adults Mm
0: -hmm. but But if
2: barely yeah. And if if the genders were flipped, I don't know if I would feel the same way about it, which is a thing that I kind of have to think about for my own sort of, you know, examination. But I don't know. Did you have feelings about that? Like the fact that they are in very different places in their lives? Yeah. And I will get
0: to that, but I want to go back to Darcy for a second. Oh, sure, sure. Because I think she was like a Disney villain a lot of the time, but I think that we were able to get sort of peeks into how she ended up that way yeah. in her own mind. Like, you know, she's the hero of her own story, etc. Yeah, that's fair. But, you know, like that scene where she was talking about being pregnant with Eric and all of the stuff that she had to go through with her family yeah, was like heart-wrenching. Like, I think that was an audio for me, too. Mm-hmm. So I can like hear it in my head still and obviously like going through terrible hardships and being basically estranged from your family does not mean that you automatically become a terrible human Yeah, but I could see the path backwards to why she feels she has to be that way Mm -hmm. and she sort of (laughs) overcorrected yeah but yeah so they like she's a complicated person and yes. i do not defend her but i do i do think that tia williams tried at least to make her somewhat three-dimensional in that way in that like i i have gone through some stuff yeah and this is how i'm dealing with it i should probably go to therapy but that's not what we do Sure. So, yeah, so that's, that was, I just wanted to talk about that while you were still talking about Darcy. Yeah. But the age difference, the age difference, like, yes, it was something about the fact that they were in two very different places in their lives. Like, he had just gotten out of college, she had just gotten out of a long-term relationship, wanted kids, wanted to move on with her life. But the actual age difference, I don't think bothered me as much because I have read multiple books with that same age gap in the opposite direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you call it? Same gender relationships similarly, mm-hmm. like Meryl Wilsner's book and uh, what is, who's, who wrote, uh, Adriana Anners' is Daddy Crush, which is a little different because that is, There's kink involved in that and that kind of thing. But Katie Roberts' Your Dad Will Do, like these these kinds of things that there's always someone worried about the age gap. And it's Mm -hmm. usually the older person because they have lived enough of their life to know that they're in very different places in their lives. But I don't think it bothered me as much to read about these two people in their, in different places of their lives because I expected to get something out of the ending. And maybe that was where I went wrong. We will talk about that in depth, I'm sure. Yeah. But I expected to sort of see growth happening on both sides because of where they were in their lives. That happened in some ways and didn't happen in others. So the actual like you were born in 1990 or whatever age difference is different from the like you want to be a filmmaker and live out of a suitcase and I want a brownstone and children and stability like those Mm -hmm. those can happen at any ages. So I think that. It was more of the, the gap in priorities that made it interesting, even though the age gap is definitely something that's going to be a quick for some people.
2: Yeah, and I think we need to take a break in a second, but I think there is something to be said about the fact that, like, I think Jenna would have been perfectly happy to wait 10 years for Eric to get there. But the reality is she's 40 and it does get really a lot more difficult to have biological children at a certain age. And so Mm -hmm. I think some of your, I think you're right that some of the like, just difference is in lifestyles and preferences were major sources of tension. But I think age is tied into that in a way.
0: Mm, That's, that's fair. That's legit. I can see that.
2: And I think some of, uh, yeah, I've some feel like let's, let's take a break and then we'll talk about how the book ends and then how the movie ends and kind of backtrack a little bit, because I think I have some thoughts and I'm sure that you do as well. (laughs) So we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by the one that got
1: away with murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like, a bit of a mess then the silver blood promise by james logan is for you in its academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan gordova's life is in shambles all he's got going for him is one he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine so they're you know those are the positives So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode.
2: Okay, so this is the part where if you have not read the book or seen the movie, and you still want to do both or either, maybe like, this is the end of the podcast today for you. We're not doing book recs. This is the conversation. So I don't want to spoil things for people. But I think we really need to talk about this because there is a difference. And we're going to kind of – I'm going to tell you the end of the book and the end of the movie. And then we'll backtrack a little bit and talk more about the movie. But in the end of the book, the two of them get fired by Darcy. Basically realize on the steps outside or the sidewalk outside of the office after they're both, you know, cast out that they need to go their separate ways. They go their separate ways, the chapter ends and the epilogue or the last chapter of the book opens four years later when Jenna is hanging out with her friends at the park and you find out that she has a son and she has... Been talking about potentially throughout the whole book. She talks about how she wants kids. She talks about the various ways that that might happen. So it's not immediately Mm -hmm. obvious, but you can kind of guess. And you find out for sure when she runs into Eric that this is actually Eric's child, who Mm -hmm. is three and who Jenna never told Eric existed. And so Mm -hmm. he finds out when they run into each other at a park that this child exists and his his child. And Jenna had not told him because she knew he wanted to pursue other interests and other things. And I have a real problem with that. I have very strong feelings about it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, in
2: no way, do I think that any person has to share their pregnancy with their partner. In no way do I think that any partner has, gets to make a decision about whether a pregnant person continues with a pregnancy. But... Mm-hmm. This was not a case where Eric was abusive or unkind or unloving. Like, these were two people that had very strong feelings for each other. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I I think very reasonable people can disagree on this. But I felt really strongly about the fact that she let this kid get to be almost four and had not told... Especially since Eric lost his father as a child and had been really Mm -hmm. traumatized by that. So, anyway... In the movie, things end differently. Jenna finds out about her pregnancy and tells Eric while she is still pregnant. He doesn't react super well to begin with, but he must tell Darcy at some point his mom because Darcy shows up at Jenna's place and is like, I am not going to abandon you or let you get abandoned in the way that I was abandoned when I was pregnant. And so Darcy kind of becomes part of the picture. Eric then also becomes part of the picture. And I think it's fair to sort of question, like, what happens to his film career or whatever. But that Mm -hmm. felt to me, in like 90% of ways, I was more comfortable with it. I will say he was still quite young, but I think they aged him up. They did. Faith pointed this out as well a little bit. So it didn't Mm -hmm. feel like he was 22 and becoming a father. It felt like he was 25 and becoming a father, which felt a little bit more realistic. I don't know. Like I said, I think of both media, the film and the book. That was the part I've had the strongest feelings about, Jess. I don't know what you thought.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you a secret. I knew how the book ended long before I started it. Interesting. Because I wanted to make sure that it was a true romance Mm -hmm. with the people who have the romantic relationship Ending up together at the end. Now, people told me so and all of that stuff, but I was still a little worried. <laughs> so I read yeah. the last chapter and was like, okay, so here we, this yeah. is where we're going to end up. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I knew that that was going to be where we were going to arrive. And even though I knew it, I could still, like, I was still able to sort of be invested in. Their growth as a partnership in a way that maybe I shouldn't have been because it ended so abruptly. And then even in 2012, 2013, Mm -hmm. when the book is set, I can't imagine losing touch with someone completely that way. Just like never thinking of them again Mm -hmm. for years. Yeah. You know, so you know, is his name on the birth certificate? I don't know, yeah, fair question, so arriving at that ending, I was kind of worried about how they would do it in the movie, so I was like once they she pushed the sonogram across the table, I was like, "Oh, thank goodness, yeah, <laughs> um, because like you like there is something to be said about taking the choice away of someone to be a father if they might decide that they want to be involved in their child's life mm-hmm. and that was completely taken away from him in the book and i know that they didn't they didn't part on the best of terms but they actually parted in much better terms in the book as far as like how they felt about each other and the respect that she had for him as a person then their little little separation in the movie. yeah. And so when she is like, hey, can we meet? And I'm like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have reached out to him. But then, of course, guess what? You're going to be a father. And the rest is history. But I also think... The, the way that they closed that story out in the movie, even though I have a lot of qualms about the way that they adapted the movie, and we'll definitely talk about that, led to a more satisfactory, happy ending. Like, the very last scene with all of them felt like a real ending to a romance compared mm-hmm. to this sort of afterthought scene. Yeah. Which obviously isn't an afterthought, but really, if it's the last chapter and it's been three years, is it really a romance? Does it end in a true happily ever
2: after? I I don't know. Yeah, it felt more HFN to me, right? Because like they mm-hmm. literally he she this book ends five minutes after she has told this person you have a child I did not tell you about for years. So mm-hmm. I do think, it, you know, it counts as a romance. The relationship is the center of it and there's an HFN, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about the books. So we're running a little shorter on time than I would like, but I am interested in, I will just give you my kind of high level review. I didn't love this movie. I thought it was, I will say there are things I liked a lot about it. Gabrielle Union is always wonderful, there are a lot mm-hmm. of really beautiful people in this movie, including all of the people that are on the in their video project. I really mm-hmm. did like that they give Darcy a better chance for redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, you see her in the last scene as well, sort of being like the queen of this Met Gala style party. But there were just some things that I i don't know. i I didn't love it. I liked the book better. What did you think? I think... Especially
0: having read the book before seeing the movie, there were some bits that, like you said, they they did better than they did in the book. But there were some things that, for pacing's sake, they made too brief. Mm-hmm. And it started with their first meeting. Yeah. That meeting was the foundation of all of their vulnerability with each other. And it lasted like three minutes and... There was no indication that either of them was affected in any way by each other until they started sucking face. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't that scene in the book where it was like, oh, give me your B plus because I don't want to. Like, it was so good, and then they made it this very brief thing. Yeah. I did love the project. Um, I also love the fact that Tia Williams made an appearance in the project.
2: Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't know which person she was. She was
0: in the peach-colored dress uh, designed in the style of mahogany.
2: Oh, I'll have to go back and look at that. I didn't realize that. That's cool.
0: Yeah, so... And I went and made sure because I was like, I think that's T.A. Williams. And then I went on IMDb and it was
2: like, Tia Williams, mahogany. So it was like, yes, I was right. So let me interrupt you for a second, though, because I felt a little like I loved the project in the book. I loved the way they approached it. Mm -hmm. In the movie, I felt like they were a little more on the side of a thing that is supposed to be great and changes this entire Darzine, the entire company. I was like, I don't know that this is that good. Like, it's beautiful people wearing beautiful clothes. But Mm -hmm. it felt a little bit like making an iMovie. You know what I mean? Like, this kid is supposed to be this extraordinary director and, like, this award-winning person. It was also a little unclear to me because in the book, Jenna is an on-screen appearance, like, an on-screen personality Mm -hmm. in the video project. And in the movie she seemed more like a producer and yeah so yeah i don't know that felt a little bit to me like one of those one example that gets used a lot that i hear is studio 60 on the sunset strip from years and years ago now <laughs> where they're like putting on a saturday night live style show but all of the sketches that they do are actually terrible like <laughs> from the outside perspective so you're like these people couldn't do this there would this show would be terrible no one would watch it so yeah. i don't know i i was less i think impressed by the project it was again beautiful people wearing beautiful clothing but like yeah. it felt a little i don't know not polished to me
0: that's that's fair i i totally see that um and like i said i really liked the concept of the project and wish they had done a yes. little more in that direction but it was really nice to see them styling classic film stars for modern day which i think is maybe something that not everyone who watches it is going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like that, that was cool. Like she walked up, the first, first lady walked up and it was like, Oh, she is full out Carmen Jones. And then they started doing the street thing. I was like, Oh, I get what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you kind of have to be a film nerd to understand all of the film nerd stuff yeah. in the movie. <laughs>
2: Yeah, a lot of it sailed over my head, and I think I will fully acknowledge that I think I also am not as familiar with, like, black film history as I could Mm -hmm. and should be. And so I think I could recognize, like, these are beautiful women wearing extraordinary clothes and not have picked up on a lot of those references, which I still – I think you would still fully enjoy it. It was more of, like, the kind of weird PowerPoint art that seemed to be going on Mm -hmm. in that project. It was Mm -hmm. less, you know, the the technique – and, like, the the cardboard cutouts with the neon
0: drawing on
2: it. Yeah. Like,
0: I, I don't know. Some of it was very bizarre.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Especially if he had a master's degree in film. He didn't just have a film degree. He had a yeah. master's in film. Mm-hmm. Like, they aged him up and gave him a higher degree and then did that. Yeah. Yes. But we could probably talk about that forever. Um, I do want to, to address, like, them making Darcy more, like, redeemable. And Mm -hmm. honestly, you can't give Gina Torres a role and not have her just destroy you with it in all of the best ways. And there are so, like, I watched it with my husband and he was like, wow, everybody's in this movie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everybody in the world is watching Suits right now, so you've probably seen Gina Torres.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I did note... Very quickly is the fact that while the book is very racially diverse, they wanted to make this a black, black movie. Mm-hmm. So they made it a black, black movie. Like mm-hmm. everyone, no matter what their description might be in the book, is black, black. Um, which I, I enjoyed because we need more films where there's more than just a couple of us in like the main roles and then everybody else isn't. So I will say that I did not mind them changing Brian yeah. to a black man, mm-hmm. the 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 um the assistants into twins. Um, yes, which was adorable.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have liked them to have given them a little bit more to do, but I can I can live with that. I will say there were a couple mm-hmm. of things about the movie. As much as it felt a little slow to me, it was a little hard to focus on. But there was like it, when the two of them first kind of hook up, um, when Eric and Jennifer hook up, she kind of, like, takes off. She kind of trips and falls and she, like, leaves immediately. And he's like, wait, can I get your information or your phone or your MySpace or whatever? And I was like, uh, uh <laughs> I left out loud. And then, um, as Faith noted, too, when Greta's character is mourning her dead peacock, Taraji P. Henson, that is also, it's in their failed <laughs> video part. So, like, there definitely were moments in the movie that were delightful and even that dinner party scene i thought it was better in the book than the movie but there were definitely Mm -hmm. things about that like failed relationship that were pretty pretty great so yeah i don't know any any kind of last thoughts from you on either the book or the movie
0: i think both the book and the movie had moments that i could highlight as being really enjoyable incredibly well done uh very well written but just as a story, as a as as a plot, and as a relationship, and all of that, I think I was undersatisfied, <laughs> not dissatisfied, but sure. not satisfied with the way that all of it comes together. So I will say I I am not mad that I read the the book and watched the movie, but. I can say that I w- probably won't watch the movie very often, and have no inclination to reread the book. But you know, I don't do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I agree with you. I'm not <laughs> weirdly enough. You and I are opposite in that I don't tend to watch rewatch movies a lot, but I reread books, and you are the exact opposite on that. I probably mm-hmm. will never watch this movie again. Although I love Gabrielle Union, so maybe I will. But in Mm -hmm. terms of the book, I think I am not likely to reread it. However, I think that there is a real audience for it. And I think as you talked about a little bit, as we've talked about a little bit, some of the conversations that are, hey, how much of this relationship is just great chemistry and how much of it is us being able to actually build a life together because of all these challenges that we have in terms of where we are in our lives right now, Mm -hmm. age-wise or otherwise... I think it's really real. And I think that's a hard thing to capture. And I think it's a thing that a lot of authors don't bother trying to capture when they do an age gap romance. And so Mm -hmm. I think there is a real place for this book. Again, it's regrettable that there are certain things in it that I think are just don't age well and are just kind of icky. Mm -hmm. But if that is a thing you can handle and you are looking for this type of book that explores some of those complicated pieces about being in a different place in your life with someone that you love, right? Like that's that's challenging. And I think there's, there's that too. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is a little piece that I forgot to mention earlier, but I touched on it when we were talking about the differences between the book and the movie. The one thing that I was incredibly satisfied by in the book that really fell flat for me in the movie was how they approached the... Third act incident Mm -hmm. where in the book, Eric sort of lets his mother have it. Yeah. In the movie, even though he's aged up. Yeah. Like with years, he is almost younger than book Eric at that moment when he like doesn't say anything to protect the love of his life from his Mm -hmm. mother. And so there, there are things that are done better on either side, but in general, like, yeah, I would, I would say, read it and explore it yourself. Because Trisha and I both have our qualms about it. But neither of us is saying, you know, this is the worst book ever burning no, the fire. Not at so. all. Yeah.
2: <laughs> not at all. It's just complicated. Yeah. And we actually want to know whether you have complicated or straightforward feelings about the Perfect Find book or movie. I will say I can't let us sign out without acknowledging that my song reference at the beginning of this podcast was flawed because uh, Unchained Melody is the one that talks about time moving by really slowly. And You've Lost That Lovely (laughs) Feeling is the one in Top Gun. They're both by (laughs) The Righteous Brothers. So I don't think that's entirely my fault, but I'd wanted to acknowledge it before people ping me about it. So I do know... And for anyone who stopped listening, you know, I'll just point you to this part of this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, like I said, we had we had a lot to say about both of these things. Mm -hmm. Many, many thanks to all of you who engaged. Thanks for to Faith for sending her thoughts. Uh, Let us all know what you thought about both the book and the movie The Perfect Find. Also, let us know what our quarter four book club book should be we are open to any suggestions that you might have uh, mm-hmm. a huge thanks as always to our wonderful magical audio editor jen Zink. you can find us on all the places when in romance at bookride.com i'm at trisha haley brown on instagram and blue sky Jess, where can folks find you
0: you can find me uh, at Jess's reading all one word it's still on the x thing and also on blue sky um jess underscore is underscore reading on instagram and jess underscore is reading on tiktok
2: perfect we didn't have time to cover a lot of news this episode so we're going to hold that for next time please do rate and review the podcast it helps folks find us jess anything we're missing before we close this one out everybody tell us what you're reading because we want
0: to make sure that you are having a happy reading time